Live from the Tech Talk studios hey. in the nation's capital and the heartland of America. It's Tech Talk. Well, it's that time of the week. What time is it? It's time for Tech Talk. I'm Brad Koss, my co-host, the one and only, the Data Doc of Talk, although today we're not going to use him as the Data Doc of Talk, Dr. J. Greenstein. <laughs> and you know what? Our very special guest today, our favorite friend of Tech Talk, Mr. Joey Coleman. Joey, welcome today, man. Oh, Brad, it is such an honor to be back on Tech Talk with you and Dr. J. I got to tell you as a little aside, last night, I've been so excited about this show. I've been thinking about this show for weeks. <laughs> and last night I said to my wife, I was like, honey, do you know what's going to happen tomorrow? And she's like, no, what? And I said, I'm going to be an expert <laughs> on the topic of college football on a podcast. And she started laughing and she said, Oh my gosh, I can't believe Jay. And, <laughs> I can't believe that Jay and Brad invited you back. And I was like, yes, that's what I'm talking about, baby. We've been oh, talking about so this for months, man. Here. I'm pumped. Months, yeah. months. So ready for this show. Okay, let me set this up real quick for our audience. So guys, you know, every week during uh, football, college football especially, Jay and I always in the segment talking about college football. It's important to us. Jay and I are both college football fans. Joey is too. Uh, sometimes our teams play together. We fight, we argue, we make fun <laughs> of each other, but we're still best friends. So we thought it'd be fun to come together and have most of our session today and our episode today talking about the crazy world of football and what is going on. How did the college uh, series end up and, and play and what the heck is happening to the NFL? You know, my question is, will there be any coaches left by the end of the week? <laughs> so I just found out today that Belichick, I guess he's out, right? But I don't really... Out as of this morning. Obviously, I know about Rivera. Like, thank God, because mediocrity is like his his symbol. But like, who who else who else is out? I didn't I didn't hear. Pete Carroll at the Carroll. Seattle Seahawks wow. out yesterday. Yep. And I, as I um the coach at Tennessee, the Tennessee Titans. Vrabel. I'll, I'll, Vrabel. We're we're Vrabel. Yeah. I'll, I will fully disclaim right now. My favorite professional sports team is the team that had the most players that went to the University of Notre Dame. <laughs> and so it changes every year. So I do not play as much, pay as much attention to professional football. But I, what I will say for anybody that's still listening who hasn't already turned off uh, the <laughs> podcast, <laughs> don't miss the relevance of this discussion to your practice and to your world, because I think what we are seeing in the world of college sports and professional sports is a landscape for the concept of what does it mean to recruit? What does it mean to onboard? What does it mean to retain top talent, whether that's on the field or in the coach's box? This is a challenge that is plaguing every business on the planet. We're just seeing it magnified in the sports arena in a way that we never have. Bro, that's so true. I love that. I think, you know, I think about that a lot. And, but one of the differences I think for our businesses, at least, is that, you know, we're not a college football program. We don't have thousands of people coming to us wanting to like wanting to be part of our company necessarily, but the retaining piece, like the transfer portal, like I love that Dr. Pepper commercial. I don't know if you guys have seen it where it's like, Oh yeah. It's <laughs> awesome. uh, don't let go of your Dr. Pepper. We can get a new quarterback. Don't worry. Oh, so true. And it's like, it's crazy. So like retaining is like, there's so much relevance there for us. 
Um, and maybe we can talk about that later. But first, we're going to talk about college football, fellows, right? Absolutely. Oh, such an exciting year. Absolutely. Such an so exciting guys, like, year. What did you think about the outcome of the college football playoff? Like, what'd you guys think? Oh, you well, know, I was, I'll, I'll let Brad go first. You go. First, no, Brad. you know, I, 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 uh, I, I kept wanting Washington to come back for some reason, or at least get into the game. Everyone and, did Brad, <laughs> everyone watching the Especially show me. wanted. Yeah, me too. We, we all did. About half the time I'm going, Oh crap. Michigan's got this one. And uh, you know, I think Michigan played better and I think they deserved the win, but I, I kept Washington come back, Washington. You know, I'm not sure the quarterback really got into the game the way that he needed to to play against Michigan. Uh, but uh, man, and they did. I mean, I thought, right, hey, Washington may come back here uh, as we got into the second half. But, you know, for me, I do think Michigan, I was sitting there texting Don Reno about stuff, you know, the last couple of games. And, and uh, you know, I think Michigan deserved to win in the end. Joey, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I too was so a couple things at a high level. Number one, it is good for college football to have someone to have a school other than Alabama, Georgia, or Clemson win the national championship. Amen. Full stop. That is a good thing. I don't care what team it was, and that's not. I want to be very clear. That's not me being anti-Georgia, anti-Alabama, anti-Clemson. What keeps competition exciting is the belief that on any given Saturday. Any team can win. And if you string enough of those together, you can become a national championship. I love it. What broke my heart a little bit, and the Michigan fans are going to hate me for saying this, and I promise I'm not saying it just because I'm a Notre Dame fan. (laughs) I'm saying it as a commentary on our society in general. I think the way that the sign stealing was handled and the way that's still panning out and still there For me, it does put a little bit of an asterisk next to the national championship. And here's why. Not because, oh, everybody signs deals, Joey, or do, do, do. We had a scenario where when this story first broke, the University of Michigan was like, this is ridiculous. We did not do this. We stand by our guard, blah, blah, blah. And in a matter of days, their court filing, their legal filings change. Wow. I didn't know that. And as a lawyer, as a lawyer, I look at, there's lots of bluster. There's lots of hullabaloo when you're on a microphone in front of the news. When you are in front of a judge, the game changes. Mm. And what they did is they came back and they were coming against the big 10 hard and say, no, 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 you can't do this. And then all of a sudden they said, you know what? We're going to agree to a suspension just to make this go away. And if you actually look at the filing, what becomes abundantly clear is there was a change in the evidence against them. This was not a, hey, we're going to compromise. They realized what was actually stacked against them and walked away. I think we are going to see Jim Harbaugh leave Michigan because he's not going to want to be there when these final results come in. And to your point earlier, Brad, the way things have happened in pro football with coaching over with the head coaches over the last few days, there has never been a better time for Jim Harbaugh to leave. And this may be previews, what I want to talk about with Nick Saban too. But the question becomes when you leave a job, do you want to leave at the top at the middle or the bottom? Yeah. Harbaugh will never 
be higher than he is right now. Yep. He has the highest earning power going into pros. He's wanted to go into the pros. He's been very vocal about this for years. And I think with the way college football is changing, the likelihood of making of Michigan making another run and running the table 15 and 0, we are not going to see that again anytime soon. Not in his life. If I'm Harbaugh and his advisors, yeah. I'm saying now it's time to go. And, and I would maybe move to Seattle if I was Harbaugh. You know, because I, I think it would be a bad idea. I think that's probably a good fit for him. I, I was going to say they they had they made a very successful transition from a super successful, although it pains me to say that about Pete Carroll at USC, given all the games that uh, he was able to beat my team, the Fighting Irish on the field. But he had a very, very successful run there. That vibe is already there. The only reason I'm hesitant is there is clearly some disconnect between the ownership and between Pete Carroll's philosophy and my gut instinct that Pete Carroll's philosophy to coaching is closer to Jim Harbaugh's than not. Yeah. And if that vibe isn't working with the ownership in Seattle today, I don't know that it's going to get better with a Harbaugh, but again, who knows? It's, they're two different people, uh, you know, and every, everybody kind of brings to the table their own worldview. But don't you agree, Pete Carroll, that was a pretty good transition for him. It was a great one. I think it was one of the best transitions we've seen from college. successful college to successful pro. I, I, I can't think of many other coaches that have made it as smoothly. Yeah. yeah. Johnson didn't for sure. You know, my biggest nightmare was watching Michigan win. Like that was, that was a nightmare for me, aside from them beating Ohio State, right? And Penix, I don't know what happened to him, but like he was so off his game because they've come back in games before. He's been an accurate passer on the move in the pocket. He just had a terrible game, but it was so. I think he was injured, Jay. You're a doc. He I was think injured? he was injured. Really? I didn't see that. I think but he maybe. was seriously. If you look at the the when they had the camera on him between plays, so like after the play was dead, as they're getting the play called in for the next play, he kept holding his side, holding oh, wow. his hip, holding his leg. I, I think that. he was fighting through a boatload of injury for most of the second wow. half. Wow, I, I didn't realize that, but maybe maybe that's true. But was equally frustrating, and I sent. Our friends, because we've got some friends that are Michigan fans, and I went on a, like I congratulated them after the win because that's what I do. Because you're a gentleman, because I, like because I understand what it feels like to win a national championship, right, Joey? Like we know, and Brad, I'm sorry, you might not, <laughs> I know what you it might feels not like know, too, Jay, Brad, yeah. but we know. <laughs> but but like so, I congratulate. But, but then the next day, of course, I'm giving them a bunch of shit, and I'm like, well, did you hear that Harbaugh is getting suspended again because they found out he was paying the refs to not call holding penalties on Washington? And then I sent them pictures of like the jerseys being like pulled off these guys oh backs gosh. it was like so frustrating to watch that so it was painful to watch they won congratulations michigan you know whatever but you know as it relates to harbaugh you know my worst my second worst nightmare is that the new owner of the washington football team hires him as the head coach i'm like oh my god don't hire him because i don't know that i can be <laughs> that a would fan. break your heart to <laughs> yeah. have to root. i have to be a cowboys fan <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jay's allegiance would change Darn, overnight. I'm a very loyal yeah, I person. totally agree with you. You know, it's interesting you mentioned the refs, Jay. And here's the interesting thing about refereeing. We've had a year of problematic, hugely problematic and missed calls in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Like unbelievable, game-changing missed opportunities. We've had, we've always had challenges with refs. What surprises me is that in 2023 and now 2024, we haven't figured out that college football, the NCAA, uh, the NFL haven't figured out better ways to incorporate technology yeah. oh, yeah. 
into refereeing. Yes. There are so many different things they can do. I mean, you know, in fencing, you have a vest that's a haptic vest that when you get hit with the sword, it lights up and it records a touch. Absolutely. Why can't we do similar type involvements uh, with the helmets to see if it actually was targeting sure. with the jerseys to feel if they're being pulled at a certain level or for a certain amount of time. I can only imagine how difficult it is to be up against a 300 pound lineman trying to stop them without wrapping your hand inadvertently around their jersey, not intentionally, inadvertently. But maybe they say something like, hey, we're going to put some sensors in so that if the hold is longer than a second or a second and a half, that's when it registers. And there are ways we could incorporate technology to change this conversation. How about ball placement or whether or not the person's in or out of bounds? You put sensors in the shoes. You have markers on the shoes. They're either inbounds or out of bounds. They either made the first down or not. Like, it's ridiculous. Yeah, that's that's the thing that gets me is it's a common sensor today with a four antennas on the field. You can tell within an eighth of an inch where that ball landed <laughs> and touched. And, there, and I hate it when I see a ref move that ball just a little to the right or a little to the left. And it obviously in TV... Dude, that isn't right. He has to have All of us at home can see that they're placing exactly. in the wrong spot. I'm like, well, how can I be a thousand miles away and see that he got the first down and you're in front of him and you can't see that he got the first <laughs> yeah. down? Or he's walking crooked when he's going back to the hash mark to uh, right. set the ball down. Guys, that's simple technology today, and why not? I don't quite understand. Maybe, maybe they're trying to keep that traditional sense to it, but... You, you know, you look at the new AT&T helmet. Have you seen the commercials for that? Yes. Where they got the that is you, a, you mean? You mean did I cry watching the national football game? <laughs> I'm I'm watching the national championship, and I turned to my wife and I said, I didn't think I was going to cry during a commercial <laughs> when they had the the Gallaudet yes. thing. And I and guys, I got to admit, and I tried to be conscious of you know, the amazing privilege I have. I try to be conscious of the fact that other folks are leading lives that I can't even begin to imagine. And I watched the beginning of that commercial where they're showing the Gallaudet football team and they're showing the coach on the sideline yelling, trying to get the attention of the quarterback that a blitz is coming. And in that moment, I started to, I was like, oh my God, I can't hear it. Yeah, he can't hear it, and I felt it immediately. Yeah. It was I thought it was one of the best commercials that I've seen in a long 100%. time in terms of a sporting. Yeah, love you it. Know, five, five or six years ago, we had an Oklahoma State player that was deaf, and uh, and they had to have a separate person on the sideline, both sides of the, the sideline, sign. to to sign to him what the play call was going to be, what was coming up, uh, and he was an excellent player. And if you think about playing that game and not being able to hear. Oh my gosh. Now maybe that makes some of your other senses more conscious of peripheral movement and stuff, but he was an outstanding player. I can't think of his name right now. What but, position, Brad? Oh, uh, I, I don't quite remember. Uh, I want to say he was like a corner or something. I mean, he had a wow. pretty serious position, but think how he had to prep for uh for plays and and no and how the quarterback had to interact with him and the rest of the team it's not like they're hey pushing him off to the side and guiding him he was an active good player and uh i think that was amazing technology and i think that's welcome but there are hundreds of other things that you could, we could do today and apply to that. Yep. Yeah. And thank, thanks to the the power of Google, I think you might be referring to Martel Van Zant. Yep, that's it. Van and Zant. he played and he played corner. Yeah. Corner. Yeah. Nuts. Yeah. Crazy. So guys, we yeah. uh, we we had great semifinal games, right? Like it was awesome. And one of those semifinal games, um, thankfully, Alabama lost, 
And now I understand that Nick is no longer the coach of Alabama. So he stepped down. Officially retired. Officially retired yeah. Hey, guys, let's take a quick break. Oh. Come back and start with Saban okay. in our next segment. You're listening to Tech Talk. I'm Brad Cost. Our guest today, Dr. Joey Coleman, <laughs> and my host, Dr. Dr. Jay the three of us are going to solve all the football problems throughout the next year. Come back and, and end this conversation with us. We'll be right back. Down, down, down. Let's slow it down. With the hot data jocks of talk. Ooh. It's Tech Talk. Welcome to Infinity. We have worked hard to create an electronic claims website that is simple and user-friendly. This is the public side. You can log into your personal web portal here. This is your dashboard. You can personalize it to your liking here. Our main focus has been to allow you to submit and edit claims as easy as possible. You will find our claims editor and claims processing is simple to use and straightforward. Our quick action bar is where you can find your most important information. Most of these icons will take you directly to the claims the number represents. You can easily view if you have any messages in your inbox of any unread alerts by looking for these blue numbers. To view the rest of our training videos to get the most of your Infinity experience, click this icon. We hope you find this web portal simple and easy to use. Thanks for letting us serve you. Your weekly dose of talk. Get ready. With the data jocks of talk. Starting your weekend outright with the data jocks of talk. It's TikTok. Welcome back. It is our football special uh, for 2024, talking about 2023 football and what's going on. We ended the last episode a little bit about Nick Saban. Guys, did that shock any of you that he went into retirement? I don't think I was shocked. I don't think I was shocked. I mean, he's, he's getting up there and it, you know, he's done his deal. He's the best that ever, that ever coached. So I'm not, I'm not shocked. What I'm really curious about is who's going to replace him. That's what I, that's yeah. what I want to know. Yeah. I have to admit, uh, I saw, and, and let me be clear and share, and this may offend some of my fellow Notre Dame fans. When Tommy Reese decided to leave being the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame to go become the offensive coordinator at Alabama, a lot of people thought that was disloyal. A lot of people were angry about that. I didn't blame Tommy Reese at all. You have the chance to go work oh. with, to your point, Jay, literally the greatest head coach in the history of college football. Yep. You take that chance. 100%. But I saw something on social media yesterday that made me laugh. They were like two things. Number one, a tweet that said Tommy Reese finally defeats 
Alabama, which I thought was a little bit hysterical because, you know, got Saban to retire. And another one says the ultimate sleeper program from a Notre Dame agent (laughs) went to Alabama and got Nick Saban to retire. Here's the thing. I agree with you, Jay. It it was he's he's been there, done that, got the T-shirt. He has nothing left to prove. But it does bring me back to that conversation I mentioned earlier with. Do you go out on top? Do you go out in the middle or do you go out at the bottom? And here's the thing. Nick Saban took a team, frankly, that shouldn't have made the playoffs. They just shouldn't have made it to the playoffs. Not because I'm, and I'm not trying to get into, oh, they got in and Florida State should have gotten in, that type of thing. I mean, the the players they had on the field were not of the caliber of the competition they were going against. Their record was not of the caliber of other schools' records, but they almost pulled it off. They almost pulled it off. And I'm not so sure that if they wouldn't have beat Michigan, that they wouldn't have had no problem beating Washington Oh yeah, in, in the final game. Right. I, agree. I mean, I, I think it was right there. So what I think is fascinating though, and something that I was thinking about this morning is when it comes time for me to retire, do you retire after your best speech? after a mediocre speech afterward, like, how do you think about that? And are you deciding in advance? Are you, you know, did Nick Saban and his wife know that this was the last season at the beginning of the season? And how does that affect the messaging you're giving to recruits? One of the things I love about Notre Dame is Marcus Freeman is the head coach is very, very clear about, we are recruiting you to Notre Dame. We are not recruiting you to your position coach, to the other players on the team. To head We are recruiting you to come to this program and this school and four for 40. You're making a 40-year decision that has a 40-year impact and return on investment for you. I think more coaches need to do that. And it's actually why I'm a fan of the transfer portal, because I think when the landscape changes, players should be able to change sure. because the rules of the game have changed sure. they should be able to change where they're at i'm not quite there with you joey but <laughs> I, I love it all right let's get into it Brad. i mean i i i really want to see what i mean uh transfer portal is loading up this year uh, we'll, we got a lot of folks transferring uh and nil to me again i know you believe that nil and it's ramping up at o-state uh you know sucking away tons of donation money to the general athletic fund, which what what kind of impact that's going to have? Before we leave all of that, I want to go back to Alabama though and say the SEC is changing in a big way next year. Uh, you, you growing, and what do you think is going to happen at SEC? Do you do you think Alabama is being neutralized a little bit, or are they still going to be the premier tier team in SEC as all these other teams like? Texas, oh, you come in. What do you think is going to happen? I think that Alabama cannot have the same type of year that they're that they've had in the past with Saban, just due to the coaching change. Like I just don't believe they can sustain. To Joey, your point, also maybe even the level of talent um, that they can sustain what they've done in the past, whatever it is, fifteen years or ten years that Saban's been there. And to your point, Joey, about going out on top, maybe this was one of Saban's best coaching jobs. Maybe maybe his record wasn't on top, but maybe it was actually one of his best coaching jobs, and he felt like, this is the best I can do. I'm going to go out on top. I think it's going to be great Agreed. having Texas and Oklahoma in the SEC, and there's really nothing we can do about it, so I'm just excited to see it. Um, even NIL and Transfer Portal, like all those changes that are taking place, like I don't, I'm a traditionalist. Like I, I remember the Southwest Conference, if you guys remember that. Like you know When it was the Pac-8, 
but it is what it is. So let's just like, for me, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to adapt and enjoy as much as I can. But I do think it's going to be fun to watch these teams play each other. I think it's going to be fun to watch Ohio state play these PAC 10, uh, PAC 12 or X PAC 12 teams. Like I want to go to Oregon to watch a game. I'm going to the Rose bowl in 2025 to watch them play UCLA. Like I'm going to that game. So I'm kind of excited. I, I love it. I, I'm excited, too, for two reasons. One, totally selfish, and one, uh, not. The one that's totally selfish is Notre Dame has played a non-conference schedule. Notre Dame has been independent from day one. They travel all over the country. They travel to Ireland to play games. Yeah, that was cool. I am really excited to see how some of these other schools that don't deal with red-eye flights, that don't deal with, oh my gosh, we were in two different time zones over the last 24 hours, you know, coast to coast, how those teams perform. Because that's the standard Notre Dame's been playing under a long time, and that's tough. And I'm really interested to see how some of these other teams hold up with that type of environment as the geographies increase. But I got to say, the the comment that I saw earlier this season from Chip Kelly when he said all college football should be independent I thought, now that is an interesting idea. What would happen if we did away with conferences altogether and everybody was independent? Because now with the change in the playoff schedule, with the change in bowl games, this whole conference, oh, you won your conference. Sorry, guys. I just don't think it matters anymore. I agree. I really don't. And so why are we perpetuating conferences that historically were based on geography and now are just based on money? What if we just changed it up? Now, the problem is if we went to everyone being independent, I think it would actually exacerbate the problem. I think we would have a couple of schools that can afford the sports scientists and can afford the private jets and everything like that. And, you know, to, to play at a level and to play more nationally. And there were, would also allow some teams to sandbag schedules and say, well, we're only playing people within two hours of our campus and we're going to run up a 14 to no record. And then, Hey, look at our record. And it's like, uh, I think we need to be a little bit better than that. That's but true. it's it, the times are a changing and it's very interesting time to be a fan of college football. Yeah. I got to tell you like the, the big 10 season when they're playing like Indiana, like it's hard to get, it's hard to get excited about that. It's just like, I love those big games where you're going against Texas or you're going against Oregon. Those are just so much more fun, but, but Brad, like, what do you think? I mean, you, you guys are left in the, in the big 12, you, you know, you got the little sisters of the poor that you're playing like a couple of times a year. Right. Like, I mean, you don't have, you don't have the same quality of teams that you're going up against. So like, what are your thoughts about the upcoming season and conference play? You know, we're bringing in Arizona, Arizona State, Cincinnati, uh, Utah. Um, Utah's good. That have done reasonably well. I think maybe the Big 12 might be a little more difficult. And you take OU out that's been the dominant force like Alabama and SEC, it may get more competitive, actually. And you may actually see some better ball games. Um I love O-State, driven, I watch every game, go to as many games as I can because I love college football, but I've learned ups and downs. It's just part of it. You don't go insane when you lose, but you're really there as, you're really there as a fan. I'm not, I'm not, the, I'm not there go yet. In, I'm not there yet, Go Brad. insane for like an hour <laughs> yeah. or two, okay? Just don't go insane for I weeks. I feel like a 24-hour period, that's all. Yeah, exactly. I think that's fair, Jay. But we've had amazing talent. We've had great success. Uh, you've been watching the Steelers. Their quarterback, O-State, was yeah. a great successful uh, quarterback at O-State. Um, you know, we've got great players in the NFL that have gone on to play well 
starting kind of players in the NFL. So it, it's got to have some umph to the team. And, and I'm sad, Jay, you were here in and out so quick last time. Next time we're going to go and we're going to get you this tour of the stadium and Can't the wait. facilities. You'll be blown away. You talk about Jet. O State has their own private jet to take the teams uh, across the nation. You know, we we have a lot of money in the conference to do that. And I think that's part of the conference thing, Joey. Don't you think is there's still money tied to uh, to the networks, the, the media, the sports media that that's collecting all that money? And, and I don't know how that would work on a nationwide basis, but, man, they make a ton and have big impact in regional kind of aspects. Absolutely. If you don't think that college sports, especially college football, is all about the Benjamins, you haven't been paying attention. I'm sorry. It just is. And whether that's right or wrong is a separate conversation from the reality that the way it currently is. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. I mean, for decades now, I have been very proud to know of NBC as the Notre Dame Broadcasting Company. Like that's what the initials actually stand for. And I've been very comfortable and happy with that unique, amazing thing. But you you mentioned something earlier, Brad, that I want to flag. The concern I have about all of the money going to football is what does that do to the other sports? I'm a big believer in the power of sport, in the power of learning teamwork, and the power of healthy competition, and the power of what that teaches you. And when we see all this money funneling to college football, we've already started to see a lot of the Olympic sports, the other sports at colleges, get their funding cut. And I think that is a net negative for our society and for the world of sports. I, I Football's great. But we're really one of the few countries on the planet where football, you know, here it's obviously king, but there are very few countries where it even is a blip on the radar screen. There's a lot of other sports that I like the idea of a more global society where we can compete globally. I, th- I think we got to still be funding soccer. I think we got to still be funding baseball and softball and field hockey and lacrosse and games that are played outside of the United States that uh, are, are frankly paying a price by all the money that's going into college yeah, football. There's no question. At, at O-State, you know, that money is trickling down even to the really not so known athletes and soccer or equestrian sports. Uh, and, and we're pretty successful at some of those other sports. Also, when you come to national titles, O-State holds a lot of them in wrestling and equestrian and some of those things. I, I know in my wife's program um, there, she's had some of those students that are not big names in sports come and give her their $1,000 NIL money that they got for a donation. And wow. so I think that's trickling down. But I, I am. That was my concern when I said I'm not a big fan of NIL, I don't think yet, because what is that going to do to the rest of the sports world? And and I'm concerned about that. Now, you guys are so focused on being the successful national teams and stuff. I, you know, I, I get joy out of all the other sports that are out there. I'm a huge basketball fan, and those states had their share of great, successful basketball. And But, but you know, I don't know about football. I keep – we got an amazing facility. We had a great – Great coach, I think he's he's just controversial enough. You know, he keeps it interesting, uh, <laughs> and we've had great players that come back and and from history and help. Uh, we're building a program that you guys have been building for decades. I really only think Oklahoma State has spent the last decade 
starting that national kind of team. Agreed. And, and you look at Absolutely. OU, they three decades, four decades of national titles. They have this big history that we go up and have to play against that. That's a whole nother league in my eyes to being able to recruit that kind of a team, having the chemistry every year of that kind of team. And, and just keeping it together to have a string of national championships, to be an Ohio State, to be a Notre Dame, to be an Alabama, that, that takes tons, not from just the players and the schools, but from the fans also. Brad, I totally agree with you. And I think that is in our instant gratification society, right. that is something that is often missed. The benefit of making slow, steady progress, the investments of, of doing something over time, of what it takes to actually build a legacy. I will say two things that I think about NIL that are really positive. Number one, in every other aspect of life, if you have a name, an image, or a likeness that has status and you are contributing and creating more value because of how you show up, you have the opportunity to be compensated. If you are an amazing chiropractor and you come into an office, we will pay you more because you're amazing, because you have patients that you bring with you, because you have a fan following. If you're an incredibly organized and talented you know, uh, office manager, you can get promoted, you can get pay raises, you can get bumps sports and college sports in particular, and this is why the NCAA drives me insane, this fiction of, oh, you're being paid with your education, do, do, do. These players are making their schools billions of dollars based on their behavior on the field. I love that they're getting a piece of the pie. What I also love is the way NIL has shifted in the last 18 to 24 months. What we saw is a bunch of high school players getting millions and millions of dollars to come to a school. Now what we're seeing is two particular uses of NIL that I think is brilliant. A retention fund, the stay and play funds that they're helping players and saying, "Lo, I know you're being intrigued by going to the NFL. We can give you some more money now to convince you to stay yeah. for another year. I love that. And I also love that it is now akin to more of the proof in the pudding when you're getting paid. You're getting paid in the transfer portal. You've gone to a school that maybe wasn't an Ohio State, a Notre Dame, you know, an O State. And now you're in a situation where, oh, you played really well at a D3 school or a D2 or a lower ranked D1. You performed for two years. Great. Come play here. I mean, look at what Sam Hartman did at Notre Dame. The, the rumor is Sam Hartman was well over a million dollars wow. to come and play one year at Notre Dame. Why? Because he had built a track record and a reputation at Wake Forest, and that allowed him to go in. I like the idea of coaches being able to place bets with a little more certainty based on performance at the collegiate level instead of trying to imagine how performance as a 17-year-old transfers to the college field. It's, it's, it's a I, big challenge. I agree, and I will share that like we just got the Ole Miss running back who gained, I think, over 1,000 yards for the last two seasons, like 20-plus touchdowns. Like We got that kid. He's getting paid. But, you know, he earned it. And I think that's great. And what I think about a lot is, is what happens to these kids when they get injured? And how is this like a great insurance policy for them that, God forbid, they have an injury, maybe they don't go as high in the draft or a coaching change happens. And now, you know, maybe they're not playing as much or they don't have the same results. There's some level of financial, um, you know, a, a net, a safety net for them that I think could be really, really beneficial. So I, I, I think there are definitely positives and again, it's here to stay. So I just hope they continue to make these types of decisions around how it's utilized. 
to benefit the players both short and long term. You know, that's a great point that you brought up, Joey and Jay, but can we put some bumper rails on it to say you can't enter the portal till after the season? You know, <laughs> well, well, J- Brad, fine. If we do the same thing for coaches, no, I'm, I, this is the thing that drives me crazy. Yeah. The double standard BS no. of, Oh, coaches can come and go all they want. No problem. But if you're a player, you got to be loyal. Stop that. Agreed. If we are going to, uh, I, I do think we need to, you know, think more strategic. And the problem is they rolled all of this out frankly, because they were forced to, they lost a court case. Most of the coaches didn't want to do this. They didn't want to play their players. You look at somebody like a Nick Saban, he doesn't like NIL. He doesn't like the transfer portal. I actually think it's good that he's retiring because the writing's on the wall. This is the reality going forward. Um, And I understand there are lots of problems with it, but I, I do think we are in the messy innovative stage where we've rolled out a new technology, a new way of approaching things, and a lot more things are going to break before they work well. Can we talk about bowl games for a second and people opting out? Can we just talk about that? And Brad, I know you want to say something. No, let's just take a quick break because we're going to run long. I want to have a great closing segment here, and uh, we got a great conversation going on. Listen, if you're driving down the road listening to Tech Talk, pull off to the side, (laughs) hang out for 60 seconds. We'll be right back. This is Tech Talk. I'm Brad Koss, my co-host, Dr. Jay Greenstein, Greenstein, and our guest today, Mr. Joey Coleman. Come on back. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey everybody, this is Dr. Jay Greenstein. This is Jay Greenstein. With me today is Dr. Jay Greenstein. And Dr. Jay Greenstein. The world around us and healthcare specifically is changing at an exponential pace. Chiropractic is perfectly positioned like we have never been right now today to be more successful and to be more impactful for the communities and patients that we serve. There are all sorts of evidence-based guidelines that, that support the use of non-pharmacological approaches. But what I want America to know is that health doesn't come from a pill. It's our responsibility as healthcare providers to educate the community about the evidence that exists. We really need to have a private practice app, something that will help us engage with our patients in ways that they've never experienced before. The intersection of technology and quality care is where the future of healthcare is at, and I'm really excited to bring that forward in the future. Spreading the love. You're listening to the tech slot. It's TikTok. So we all feel it. Rent or dining out, gasoline or movies. As a matter of fact, the dollar is not going as far for a whole host of reasons. And it's impacting everybody, regardless of your financial situation. Did you know that 38% of the overall population is having to reconsider how they're spending their money just to afford the healthcare they need? And if you break it down further, 26% have actually delayed the healthcare that they need, including going to see you, the chiropractor. So here's what we need to know about the breakdown in demographics. You would think that someone who's making $120,000 or more would be continuing their care right now. But the actual number is 18%. 18% of that group is actually putting off healthcare. And that's a group of people making six figures. When you take that same information all the way down to a group making 40,000, that number's much higher. It's closer to 40%. 
So it's never been more important than now to make sure you've made it easy for your patients to come see you, that you have choices for them, and you understand what they're going through at home. We wanna make sure your practice thrives during this time, and we encourage you to learn about what Cairo Health USA can do for you and your practice and making it easy for patients to see you and continue care. to the future of healthcare with the data jocks of talk it's tech talk great college football and, and a little NFL uh, conversation in there. Joey, I want, I want to go. We, we've been talking about players opting in, opting out, seasons being destroyed uh, because players leave. And I'm assuming once they enter the transfer portal, they can't play, right, for the team? Or is that an option of the coach? How does that go? You know, I got to admit, I'm not 100% sure what how it relates to the transfer portal, but I think what we did see this bowl season is a lot of players opting out. I mean, you look at Florida State, yeah. irritated, yeah. and understandably so, yep. that they didn't make the playoff, and something like 30 players didn't play. There will always be players that opt out. I think, personally, we need to explore why are they opting out. Now, let's take uh, Sam Hartman, the quarterback at Notre Dame this year. He opted out from the bowl game. And a lot of people are like, oh, this is so offensive. He got paid all this money to come and play, and then he doesn't even play in the bowl game. Well, that's one perspective. Another perspective is this is a guy who has a chance to potentially make an NFL roster and doesn't want to get hurt. He knows he's not going in the first round. He knows he's probably going in four, five, or six. Is the performance in a bowl game really going to make the difference for him? Eh, maybe yes, maybe no. I actually looked at it as him doing a favor to our next quarterback in line, Steve Angeli, known as Peter Butter Angeli, <laughs> right? And so they, he, and that's, that, supposedly that comes from him. That's the only reason I would say that. Um, but here's the thing. Sam Hartman's decision to opt out meant we got to see an entire game led by the backup quarterback, and we got to see how good he was. We got to see get, get him some reps, get him some time. So a player opting out of the bowl game isn't necessarily a bad thing for the team if you've got someone ready to stand up and perform and be ready to go. I think the bigger question is one of team morale. And what does that do to the other players when they feel that they're brothers in arms who they've been in the trenches with all season are bailing in the final game. Now, when the final game is a bowl game that quote unquote doesn't, doesn't matter. really matter, 
and they run the risk of getting injured. There was a player from Notre Dame years ago who got injured in the bowl game and saw his draft stock fall dramatically. I'm sorry. At the end of the day, these players, their bodies and their ability to perform on the field is what is going to allow them to, in many cases, make life-changing money at the next level. I think the solution to this, guys, is to take some of the NIL money and some of these school endowments and buy insurance policies for the players and say, hey, you're a quarterback. We're going to drop a $10 million insurance policy on you that if you get hurt in the bowl game and you can't go on to play in the NFL, insurance is going to pay $10 million. Lloyds of London would be happy to write these policies. Schools could afford to carry these policies for the whole team. They could probably get a discount if they did it for every player. And I think that would solve a lot of this problem because I don't blame the players for saying, am I going to go play in a game that doesn't matter to the national championship? It doesn't matter for getting a ring. It doesn't matter for bragging rights. It's number four in this conference playing number five in this conference in the, you know, toilet bowl game. I mean, seriously, it, it, this stuff, I don't blame them. Hey, let's create the BJJ Corporation, Insurance Corporation, and let's do that tomorrow. Let's do it, baby. Like Insurance companies make a shit ton of money. You, yeah. know, you know, it's so interesting because, like, I'm watching these games and I'm like, the postseason has now become next season's preseason. We're seeing the players who are going to yeah. play next year. And when I saw... It's the first spring practice. Exactly. And it occurs in December. Exactly. But also, like, when we saw our backup quarterback play and it was a disaster, that's when we knew we had to go get Will Howard in the transfer portal. So, like, there are some advantages, but on one hand, it kind of sucks that these games become even more meaningless. On the other hand, I think one of the other solutions, Joey, is the fact that we've got 12 teams where it's going to matter next year. So we're not going to see as much of it with the elite teams because... They're in like there's there's a bigger dance right. that they're going to get to participate in, which, guys, I cannot even tell you how excited I am for a 12 team playoff. Like I've been like waiting for this for like my entire life since I was like seven. All right. I can't tell you how excited I am to have teams be forced to come to South Bend, Indiana in December when there's a foot of snow on the ground and have to play yeah. there, especially teams like USC who are like, oh, we'll play Notre Dame at home if it's in September. But they always want Notre Dame to come out there in November. It's like, come yep. on, deal with the weather like the schools that live in the weather, like Ohio State do. And I know it's cold right now in Oklahoma, <laughs> so like like kind of in Oklahoma as well, too, Brad. So, Joey, um, we've been talking a lot about like these issues related to coaching and changes, retirement, uh, coaches being fired, succession planning. Like, how do we how does Alabama ensure that they've got the right succession plan for Saban? Because I don't think this was news to the administration in Alabama. Like, I really don't like they had to know something. But, you know, you, you wrote another best selling book. Congratulations. We haven't really talked about it today. You never lose Thanks, an employee buddy. again. It's an amazing book. And. And so, like, I'm sure as you're looking at all this, you've got, like, great context around this industry as it relates to talent management, right? And so I'd love to hear your ideas. And then I, I also know, because I've read the book, that you've got a great story around Notre Dame. So we want to hear that, too. Ah, uh, Jay, you're too kind. And as a, a folks, let's just pause for a moment that an Ohio State fan just gave a Notre Dame fan the floor <laughs> to talk about Notre Dame. So you are so gracious, Jay. I, I greatly appreciate that. Yeah, here's the thing. And I, and I said this at the top of the show. If you think this conversation is all about college football, you've respectfully, you've lost the plot. 
This is about the state of employment in our society in 2024. We live in one of the most fascinating, stressful, trying, challenging, adventurous times for employers and employees that has ever existed on planet Earth. There is more money at play. There is more of a war for top talent. There is more transient behavior by top talent. There are people that are shifting, that are working one place that quote unquote should be loyal, but are bolting to go to a competitor. They're jumping to an entirely different industry. This is facing every organization on the planet. So the question then becomes, what do we do? Well, we've got to get more strategic in how we think about our people, how we think about our teams. I was on a call the other day and somebody was like, well, my staff. And I was like, no, no, no. Staff is something you carry when you're going on a hike. (laughs) It is not a human being that is on your payroll. Okay. I like the analogy of a team. Why? Because I think most employers, whether you're, you know, a chiropractor, whether you're running an office, whatever type of business you run need to behave more like college coaches. And this is what I mean by that. A college coach knows that there are a limited number of high school football players that are going to be able to perform on their team. So they're recruiting from a smaller pool already. They know that they're competing against a lot of other amazing opportunities that, let's be candid, are pretty similar on paper. Yeah, schools have their loyalties and they have their fan base and their alumni, but uh, you know, taking a snap at Notre Dame is not that different than taking a snap at Ohio State for a quarterback, right? You're, you're playing on national TV. You're playing the game. There's a lot of similarities. So how do you distinguish yourself? How do you stand out in the crowd? What college coaches know is that at best, they're going to get six years from a player. But if a player is really good, they're going to get three before that player leaves and goes to the next level. I think if business leaders only made that shift in their mental thinking, only that shift in their blueprint, that they stopped thinking that the person they are hiring is going to be with their practice for 10 years and instead said, this person's probably going to be with us three if they're really good. How can I have them be part of this team? How can I build a playbook? How can I build a strategy around them being on the team for the next three years as opposed to, well, we'll take a year or two to get it figured out and then we'll get them into their groove in year three or four. And then by five or six, we'll be really up and running. They're going to be gone by then. You can't wait that long. So you asked Jay about uh, Notre Dame's approach to this. And one of the things that I love when Marcus Freeman got hired as the head coach, which by the way, how cool is it to have a head coach in college football that looks like he could line up on the line? I mean, I, I have never understood how it is that we have morbidly obese coaches coaching these elite athletes. I'm very proud that Marcus Freeman looks like he can bench just as much as any of the players on the team. I love that. And I think the players love it too. But when Marcus Freeman did his first interview as head coach, they said, what's your plan? What's your strategy? Because it comes down to three things, recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. And I loved that. If you are going to solve your culture, if you are going to take your practice, your business to the next level, you've got to start at the top of the funnel with who you're bringing into your team and how you're building your team. Notre Dame does something really fascinating with their recruiting. When you are a targeted recruit and you get your offer, everybody knows about getting the offer, right? 
by the way, in your chiropractic practice, you make offers to new employees too. So there's a direct analogy here to how this works. When Notre Dame sends out its offer, the package comes in the mail and it's a yellow package with a blue custom illustration on the front of it. Notre Dame's colors are blue and gold. And the blue illustration is a portrait of the player. Now, the style is very unique, but if you've been to a football game at Notre Dame, you know that the programs that they sell on football Saturdays have a custom illustration on the front. They hired the same artist that does their program illustrations to do the packaging for their offer letter. Holy cow, I haven't even opened the package and I want to go play for the Irish. You then open the package and inside is a beautifully designed, four-color process, beautifully colored open it up. It's like a pop-up book. And the top of it shows famous, iconic buildings from the Notre Dame campus. The Basilica, the Sacred Heart, the Golden Dome, Touchdown Yeah, Jesus. baby. <laughs> it's got the letter on the bottom, you know, with the gold embossed seal of Notre Dame, hand signed by Coach Freeman. And then it's got a road leading away from the letter that goes by national championships and Heisman trophies and the Fighting Irish Leprechaun and the Golden Helmets. And then there's a little slide out on the side that when they slide it out, it shows the player wearing a Notre Dame football uniform. It's an actual picture so they can envision themselves in the role if they accept the offer. Now, compare that to the typical offer letter that a business owner sends. That's a one-page Microsoft Word formatted, legalese rich, bland as can be. Hey, we're going to offer you this position, pay you this much. By the way, we're an at-will employer, so this isn't a contract. We have no obligation to you. <laughs> Sign on the bottom line if you want to come join us. My question for every business owner is, do your offer letters look like a memo from a lawyer or does it look like an invitation to the next chapter in your life? That's yeah, it's, it's a great point. And now I've had the great honor and privilege to see Joe on stage talking about this and actually seeing what they do. And it is just remarkable. It's so cool. And, you know, I remember watching you at Cadre, Joey, and I was taking so many notes and I was sending cat texts and pictures. I was like, oh God, we need to level up our game. Like we are not nearly as good as we think we are. We got to fix this. Um, so well, Jay is very humble, folks. What you also need to know is in the book, Never Lose an Employee Again, there is one case study that is a chiropractor, and it is Kaizo Health and Dr. Jay Greenstein <laughs> and his team. I mean, they are phenomenal at this stuff, so he's very humble. But yeah, you, you need to think strategically about how you recruit. You need to think strategically about how you onboard, and you need to think strategically about what you're doing to retain. We mentioned NIL earlier and the fact that so many of these NIL funds are now pay to stay. I'm not saying that you should pay your employees more to retain them. What I am saying is you should look and see what matters most to them. And to a college player that's considering the NFL, one of the big draws of the NFL is I'm going to make bank. I'm going to get my bag. When you've got an employee who's considering an offer from a competitor or from another company or another organization, it's usually not that they're going to get more money. They might, and you got to pay your people fairly. But the reality is they usually see something in that other position that you could offer them to. You haven't just thought of it. Flexibility, autonomy, more responsibility, new skill sets, new opportunities. It's not just about the Benjamins when it comes to retention. It's about what are you doing to help chart the path for that employee's career that allows them to feel a sense of progress, a sense of accomplishment, a sense of forward momentum. That's so on point. And I have a question for you because I, 
I mean, I really don't know like what the right answer is. You know, when we when we think when we think at least in our businesses about um, hiring people, it's all about alignment of core values. Like we just want the people that align with who we are, what we believe, how we behave. And I wonder if 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 in the college world or even in the business world, Joey, where you know you see talent, you're a coach and you see talent, and maybe there's some things about that person that you're really not sure about. You know, that on talent on paper, perfect. You know, but but maybe there's not alignment of core values. Do you think it's part of the responsibility of the coach and or um, can people change their core values based on the right coaching, the right mentoring? Do you take a chance on those people? Coaches maybe in college football do in the business world. Like, how do we maybe respond to that where we're not sure? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I think the question is, are you actually a really good coach or leader? And asking that question honestly. So let's take it out of football, but keep it in sports. Look at Dennis Rodman. When Dennis Rodman went to play for the Chicago Bulls, most of the experts were saying, oh my gosh, he's a cancer. He causes all kinds of problems. It's a nightmare. He's going to destroy the Bulls. There were two things in Chicago that made Dennis Rodman a different type of player. Phil Jackson, the coach, and Michael Jordan, his coworker, if you will, his teammate. And what we see, and you hear, you read the stories that Phil Jackson tells and that, uh, uh, that Michael Jordan tells and even that Dennis Rodman tells, and what happens is they got Rodman to harness his ability and align with the values of the team. You can do that, but it was pretty much a full-time job for Phil Jackson and Michael Jordan <laughs> yeah. to do that. And those two are, you know, the greatest player that's ever played basketball and coach. one of, yeah. if not the greatest coach of NBA basketball in the history of the game. So if you, here's the thing. I think it's hugely important for your team to be in alignment with you and your values. And I think it's important for leaders to state what the organizational values are. But I also think it's important for leaders, if they haven't stated those from the outset, to work with the team to collectively decide what the values are. We're doing this exercise with my family. We're doing our family it. core values. My boys are now old enough at eight and 10 that we can say, because previously the value would have been more candy, you know, more <laughs> cartoons. We're, we're reached a point now where we're sitting down later this month to talk about our family's core values. And certainly mom and dad are going to be leading and establishing what those values are, but we're going to be get input from our players, from our employees, from our two kids about what they think the value should be. Because when your teammates contribute to the direction and the strategy and the values. It's a lot easier for them to live those values than if you dictate them from on high and expect everybody to do it. Amazing. I love it. I'm interested to hear when they turn 13 and 15, <clears throat> how those core values are going, Joey, because it's exactly, me exactly. like those were the points in time that my brain just like had to keep adapting every day, you know, to. Absolutely. Well, and Brad, you bring up an excellent point as a leader of a chiropractic practice or any type of business, you've got to keep adapting. And I'm sorry, the value that served you when you started your practice 22 years ago might not be the value that's going to serve you for the next 22 years. And that doesn't mean you're bad. I am so sick of this thought of people like, oh, you're a flip flopper. You don't believe what you believed in the past. God, I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. Yeah. The smartest people I know have strong beliefs loosely held. 
I want you to believe implicitly what you believe, but I want you to be open to the fact that the landscape has changed. I was on the phone the other day with a financial advisor, and he was talking about, I, I really need a good assistant. I need an executive assistant. I said, all right. And he said, but, you know, the problem is they have to, you know, live here within, you know, near my office. And I'm like, why? And he said, well, because they need to come to work. I was like, Why? He's like, because I have a desk for him. I'm like, you're not getting the point of my why. <laughs> my why is you have just limited the pool of potential talent in this remote hybrid work world. You could have a world-class executive assistant who basically is doing your scheduling and managing yeah. your email. They don't need to be sitting in front of you. That's your ego. That's your belief system. That's you saying, well, this is the way we've done it for the last 40 years, and this is the way my parents did it. My grandparents did it, so that's the way I need to do it. No. We live in a different world. If I said to you, you can't use the internet anymore in your business, most businesses would freak out. But the second I say, we might not have the employees sitting under the same roof, people are like, well, that's never going to work. Really? Yeah. Really? Come on, folks. Yeah. We can do better. Agreed. You know, uh, sometimes you give great wisdom, Joey. I, I, you know, I've got, Sometimes. I I've got, you're too kind, Brad. You're too kind. I, I've I've learned so much because I was one of those traditional guys in business. You know, I grew up, kicked the door in, kind of. Everybody's got to be in the desk at eight o'clock. Everybody's got to. I, I was one of those guys. COVID changed me, and COVID and Jay, Doctor Jay Greenstein, changed me. And I, I got to say, Jay's Jay, and you too, Joy. I, every time I, you're on the podcast, we're together. I talk. I'm, man, I'm making notes. I'm going back at night in the room. I'm typing back to the staff. Hey, we're going to try this. And they're going like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> I am loathed by more teams around no, the world. That's so you know, CEOs true. are super excited. No, I'm teasing. Here's the thing. You got to embrace them and you got to lead. You yep. got to be part of the solution. And I think where a lot of leaders, if if I were to offer a, uh, a request, a challenge, a suggestion here at the beginning of 2024 for all the amazing leaders that I know that listen to this show, it would be this. You have a vision for how you want to increase your PVA this year. You have a vision for how you want to increase the total number of patients you're seeing, how you want to increase your profit, how you want to increase your revenue. What's your vision for increasing your performance as a leader? You want to raise sales by 20%? Are you going to raise your ability to be a leader by 20%? Because you better do that if you want the sales to go up. You want to retain more people? Are you going to raise your skills as a manager and as a leader to increase the retention? Or are you going to just say, I know we'll throw more money at them. What are you doing to level yourself up? What are the podcasts you're listening to like this awesome show? What are the books you're reading? What are the courses you're taking? What are the coaching you're getting, the training you're getting? How are you taking your leadership and your worldview and your perspectives to the next level? Because that's what is not only useful, in 2024. It is required if you want to stay in business. Amen, Joey. Amen. Love it. Well, guys, have we said everything that we need to say about Hell no. We could go on for hours. (laughs) What are we talking about here? All right. Let me ask, let me ask one question of the group. Standing here at the end of the college football season, looking to next year, do you think your team is going to be the same? Worse, slightly better, significantly better. Where do you put your favorite college team on that metric 
asking you to crystal ball what it's going to look like next football season, and we're a ways away. But I'd just be curious. Do you feel you're moving in the right direction? Do you feel you're plateauing? Do you feel you're sliding a little? Some of both. Let me know your thoughts. Brad, you go first. I think O-State is going to have a better year next year. We've retained some talent. Quarterback staying. Uh, Ollie staying. So we've retained some serious talent. I think he's got the right chemistry. He's got the right skills. I think we'll be better. National title? I, I just don't know. That's that's new territory for O-State. Uh, but will the games be great? I think so. And they may start out with me texting Jay saying, <laughs> dude, this may be a long season. And next thing I know, we're 10 in the nation, you know? So I, I think it'll be a, a great, I'm very interested to see how uh, the OU leaving the conference, Texas leaving the conference. Now I got to be honest, shocked about Texas. Um, I didn't get to go to that bowl game. I, I was, something else was going on, but Kendra went, she said, Texas played really, really well. And maybe they've got their act together because they had some years that they were really down. So I'm interested just to see what the conference is going to be because it's going to be a whole new ball game for us. Yeah. Texas may also have a retention issue at the quarterback yeah. position because yeah. they got a quarterback who said, I'm coming back, who everybody thought was going to leave. Yeah. And they've got the heir apparent waiting in Arch. the wings going, uh, I already sat Arch Manning. I already sat around one year. Yep. Am I going to sit around another year? Where's this going to go? I don't know. And thus far he's saying, yeah, but you know what we know about college football is if you, if you don't like the way it is, just stay till tomorrow. It'll change. <laughs> exactly. So I'll tell you, um, I think that our team is going to be slightly better. And the reason I say that is because I, I do believe that, um, you know, they've got, they've got a lot of players coming back. Travion Henderson, I think, is the key for us. Like, if he comes back, I know we'll be better. But to your point, Joey, about elevating your leadership skills, this was the first year that I saw Ryan Day, like, lashing out, specifically at the quarterback. And I think that's one of the reasons why McCord left. I've never seen him be that like emotional on the sidelines. And I just felt like he, he was lashing out at Lou Holtz after well, yeah, a game. Too, I mean, right? I was that like, was, James, that was, what did, that I was, was like, and, yeah, that was, and, and, but, but it's like, at some point it did seem different. It seemed that the emotions were leaking out in a way that I don't think is serving your head. Coach. I agree. And it was just like, everything was getting the best of him. And I think it all stems from just him not being able to beat Michigan and all that pressure on him. He's got to let that shit go and focus to your point on leveling up his leadership game. And leveling up his coaching game, like literally the X's and the O's, because that game that he coached in the, um, in what was it, the Cotton Bowl, was a joke. Like, I mean, we all could have coached a better game than that. But I do think, I'm hoping, because I'm an optimist, that they're going to be slightly better. So I think they're going to, I don't know where they finished the year this year, maybe like nine. I think they'll probably be somewhere between five and eight uh, when, the, when the playoff starts. And maybe they'll make a run. That's my belief. What about Notre Dame? I love it. So I'm going to break it down into a couple of things. I'm going to do it fast because I want to cover a couple of things. I want to talk about recruiting. I want to talk about onboarding. I want to talk about retention. I want to talk about leadership, recruiting. Notre Dame just signed their third top 10 recruiting class in a row. That hasn't happened in almost two decades. Wow. Marcus Freeman is l walking the talk. What is most fascinating to me is if you look at every interview with a recruit, when the reporters ask, and who was your lead recruiter? no matter what position they're in, their answer is Marcus Freeman. I think that is a game changer. When the head coach is your top recruiter, good things happen. Yeah. Onboarding. We have more players. We had a high school player, CJ Carr, who's the grandson of Lloyd Carr, famous Michigan, you know, the, the, the man, Michigan man. 
is going to be starting at Notre Dame, coming to Notre Dame as a freshman. He came in December to practice with the team before the bowl game. Even though he's not going to be playing, he's going to be enrolling in January. He came to start getting some reps. That's onboarding. They're thinking strategically about onboarding year-round and getting people in sooner rather than later. Retention. We had a number of players decide to stay. I think part of that might have been NIL. I think part of that might be uh, just their their belief that things are a-changing in the culture and they think a national championship run is close at hand. But when Xavier Watts, who wins the award for the best defensive player of the year. He's he's reached the pinnacle, right? Seven interceptions. Best defensive player of the year says, I'm not going to the NFL. I'm coming back for another year. Your retention techniques are working. Last but not least, leadership. Notre Dame just signed the offensive coordinator from LSU who ran the number one point scoring offense of any team in the country last year, who led the uh, quarterback to a Heisman trophy, even though the LSU team did not have the other tools on the field to make a long run, uh, led this person to a, I am so excited that Mike Denbrock is going to be coming in as the head coach and Notre Dame's defense finished the year top five. Mm. And it looks like we're retaining our defensive coordinator. We theoretically on paper are going to have the top, the number one or number two offensive coordinator in the country, a top five, I would argue number one or number two defensive coordinator in the country under a leader, Marcus Freeman, who is all about the recruiting and is all about being able to bench press what his linemen can. I'm telling you, Notre Dame is going to have the best year they've had in decades next. All right. So here's the deal. Whoever wins the national championship gets dinner bought by the other two. So Joey, Oh, I like it. I like it. Deal. Done. Let me tell you, if Notre Dame wins the national championship, I'll buy you guys multiple. No, we're buying you dinner. Um, You're so good at painting the picture. Like, I'm like no getting kid. goosebumps listening to you. And I'm not even a Notre Dame fan, damn it. He is Dr. Joey Coleman, you know. You gotta <laughs> you gotta give him that. Well, listen, guys, that this sounds like we're setting up for another college football podcast about November yeah. to see where all this is shaking out next year. Or Absolutely. this year, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I love it. Guys, I just want to say before we sign off, thanks so much for having me as a guest on the show again. I I love that I get to be a repeat offender and come back (laughs) and hang out with you guys. And I love that we got to focus on uh, college football today. And I hope that you're amazing listeners, because I know you guys have amazing, amazing listeners. I hope that you were inspired to think a little bit differently about the kind of experiences you're creating for your team. And I call them your team, not your employees, not your staff, not your administrators, not your CAs, not your office managers, your team. We're all in this together and you have the opportunity to make 2024 your best year yet. And I wish all of your listeners the opportunity and the possibility and the potentiality of doing that. Thank you, Joey. Thank thank you. you. Joey, plug your book real quick. Where can yeah. they get it? Oh, you're too kind. The book is called Never Lose an Employee Again. If you like reading hardcover books, we've got a hardcover. If you like reading on your Kindle, we've got an ebook. If you've enjoyed the sound of my voice on this podcast, I narrate the audio book to you. Uh, it's available wherever you like to get books, online, offline. It's called Never Lose an Employee Again by Joey Coleman. I hope you'll check it out. And if you do and you want to have something a little crazy, on the very first page of the book, it gives you the chance to sign up to experience the book. If you're somebody who's enjoyed this conversation, sign up to experience the book. It allows me to have some interactions with you as a reader that I normally wouldn't get to have with a reader who bought the book. And I think you'll enjoy it. Guys, it's a must read. Get the book. Yep.
Yep. My, my, my team has been reading your books. Uh, I bought enough copies for them. They're getting, they're checking them out. They're all reading them. And, you know, I, I, I hope I'm swaying some mentalities, Joy, but thank you for that experience. And, uh, and thank you for all the things that you've passed off to me. Jay, you also, buddy, you know that we interact every week and, and uh, I appreciate uh, all the things in 2023 that we got to do together yes, and that sir. we're doing in 2024. We got some crazy things coming up this year. Yes, we do, my friend. Thank you, brother. Listen, guys, uh, the audience, thank you very much for joining us today. I hope this was fun for you. To uh, For Dr. Jay and Joey Coleman, I'm Brad Cost. Have a good day. See y'all. 